Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. ACF, you guys glad to be here today? Here we are, Eagle River High School. I am so excited about church today, you guys. I just woke up this morning uh, just glad to gather with you. My name is Brian, and I'm one of the pastors here at ACF. And uh, if you're new uh, to ACF, or maybe you just came for your first time to Easter last week, we are so glad that you're here with us. This is our new location, and uh, it feels a little strange, doesn't it? Um, I, I was a military kid, and so I moved around from house to house to house, and I know that feeling of like new location. It just takes a little time for it to feel like home, right? And, and so this is going to be the same way here at the school, but listen, God is still at work. It's never been about where we are. God goes with us, and we go with God. And so we believe that he's going to work in this space, that the Holy Spirit is here, and that he wants to speak to us as individuals today, uh, just as much as anywhere else we've been. And so we're excited about that. Easter was fun, wasn't it? You guys, it was so good. Between Good Friday and Easter services, we saw over 8% of our city gathered together, which is, that's a praise God moment. Come on. That is so good. And we are celebrating 46 people who gave their lives to Jesus. Can we thank God for that? That is huge. So good. And that's what it's all about, you guys. Listen, Easter is not the end of the story. It's the very beginning. And we really believe that. And so for you, uh, with all the buildup that comes to Easter as a celebration for the church, just know this, that is just the beginning of our role in God's kingdom. And so if you're a believer in Jesus here today, uh, I want to encourage you that this is just the beginning of our, our involvement with what God is doing in our city. And so if you invited someone to Easter last week, invite them to church next week. Text them, bring them. God is still uh, on the move around us, and I believe that he wants to continue the conversation, uh, even in this space at church. And also for you, if you are one of those 46 people, or if you've maybe given your heart to Jesus recently, we are actually going to be doing baptism here at Eagle River High School here in a few weeks. And so get ready for that. Uh, we're just excited to baptize a bunch of people. Uh, baptism is our first step of obedience when we give our hearts to Christ. And so you can uh, get some information at the Engage table after service about that, but look for that. That is coming up. And demo has begun at the church. If you haven't seen, uh, it looks nothing like it did a couple of weeks ago. Walls are ripped down. 
down, and there's insulation everywhere, and it's just a beautiful mess uh, around our facility. So the work is continuing. We are really excited about what's going, going on with that. Another thing, too, here at the school, uh, we don't know that we're going to be doing paper notes every single week, so make sure you download the ACF Church app um, as we continue on this summer. That's going to give you all the questions uh, for the service, all the text uh, and the scriptures will be there, but uh, join with us in that. So uh, when I grew up, I remember there was this statement uh, that I heard from, uh, from some, some of my friend's parents one time, and I just hated it when they would make this statement. I'd go visit them, we'd be sitting at dinner, we'd be hanging out, and this was the statement that they made. Children are meant to be seen and not heard, right? I hated that. Don't you ever, don't you hate that? Like, I remember as a kid going, what, what about my voice? Like, you don't want to hear me speak? Uh, don't I have something to say? And I will tell you that over the years that the church in many ways has taken on sort of that perspective, that for, for all of us who are part of a church community, there's sort of this come and see but don't speak type of expectation. Like you, you're going to come here and be a spectator, but you're not actually going to be heard in any way. And so we realized this uh, a while ago and just said, what if we started a conversation with those who come to church and involved you in what was actually being talked about on Sunday mornings uh, during service? Because you have a voice and God is speaking to your heart and you have challenges and, and questions and some God problems that I would like to see all of us work through. And so over the last couple of weeks, and even we did this last year, we've been receiving text-in questions from you, and just allowing you to text in, what are the things that you're wrestling with? What are the things that you have as questions about your faith? And just so you guys know, we have been flooded with questions. We have, I have way more than I can cover over the next five weeks. And I want to encourage you, our life groups are a great place to continue that conversation. If your question doesn't get answered, uh, it, you still matter. So it doesn't mean that it's not a great question. It just means that we have limited time. And so I'd encourage you, get in those groups, bring those questions up. But what we're going to do is I'm going to open with like a question or two each week. We're going, to, we're going to do kind of rapid fire, talk about that question, and then we're going to get into kind of a major topic that we're going to discuss for the week. And so, you guys with me? We're doing this together? All right. All right, you guys look really sleepy. It's because we don't have coffee in the lobby. I know, I know, it's so painful. So you can go get some coffee after this, get your caffeine fixed. But let's throw up that first question that came in. I felt, I felt like this was a really good one to cover. This person says, I've been told two conflicting things about God over my lifetime. And they are, number one, God will never give you more than you can handle. Number two, God will give you more than you can handle. So that you turn to him in your time of need, which one is it? Has anybody ever heard that statement before? Raise your hand. This is involvement time. Okay, so God will not give you more than you can handle. Um, Okay, so that is a statement that brings up a lot of different challenges, and I think what it is is it, it comes from a, a, a chapter and verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that says this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay. So this is the scripture that this understanding that God will not give us more than we can handle comes from, is from 1 Corinthians 10. And the first thing that we need to do is draw a distinction between temptations and trials. 
Because what we do is we make these little quippy uh, like Christian statements. We throw them out on Instagram and Facebook. And then we apply them to everything. And then we realize that they don't really hold up to the tension of real life. What he's saying is that in our temptations, God will always provide a way out. That God will always give us what we need to overcome temptation. Did you guys know that you always have a choice when it comes to your temptations? Do you know that you have a decision to make every time there's a, there's a thing coming at you and you're like, I know that's the wrong thing. I know that I could, I could kind of put my integrity at risk here and make a couple dollars or save a couple dollars or you know, get, get my, my friends to maybe like me a little bit more by, by uh, impressing them. But really, this is not a good thing that I'm doing. And so what he's saying is that we can overcome those temptations, that the Spirit will work in us and through us. But what he is not saying, hear me, is that you will never encounter a trial that you cannot handle. In fact, Jesus himself, we talked about this last week, it it says that when Jesus was on the cross, here's what he said to his father. He said that I am overwhelmed to the point of death. That's what Jesus said. Like, that's pretty overwhelmed. You know, some of you are like, I'm coming up on finals. That's pretty overwhelming. Got some things going on at work. That's overwhelming. Have you ever been overwhelmed to the point of death? And some of you have. Some of you have experienced that kind of sorrow. And now that is something that God will allow you to experience and go through. Certainly Jesus went through it. Maybe another way to say this would be, uh, this is just too much for me. Some of you have been at the end of your rope. You felt like, man, there's just, I can't get through this. This is too much for me. What you need to know is that contrary to popular belief, we are insufficient. We cannot do things on our own. And in fact, one of the most important things for any of us to go through is something that we can't handle. And in fact, God uses those things, as we talked about at Easter, this, these, these losses and death in our, our, our lives, that he uses those things to draw us to himself. And, and so those struggles, that's why we need God, right? I mean, that, that really, in many ways, can some of you admit that there was a difficult season of life and, and, and you wouldn't trade it for the world because that's how God got through to you? I mean, that, that was what it took. You're like, man, I am hard-headed. I don't listen. I don't feel like I need God. But I had to get on my knees. I had to get forced to my knees to really know that I need God. And so now, now it walks into a more difficult conversation about suffering and sorrow. And is all of that at the hand of God? Is God the one that causes all of this pain and suffering? We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. So we're not going to get to that this morning. But I know that that's where that question goes. Here's the next question. He says, hi there. That's very friendly. Hi there. My question is, how to respond to someone that declares all of the time they are a good Christian, but doesn't behave that way? And this is a question I want to use to kind of get into our topic this morning. I want to talk a little bit about hypocrisy in the church. And maybe some of you ever heard people say this, hey, the church is full of hypocrites. That's why I'm not a Christian. That's why I don't want to be a Christian is because there's hypocrites in the church. And an example of this kind of understanding that came to my mind last week was uh, when I was a kid, one of my greatest disappointments came on Easter morning because my mom had gotten me this like four foot tall chocolate Easter bunny. 
And some of you know where this story is going. I saw this thing when I came out of my room as a kid, and I just like, as a, as a little like 10-year-old, my heart was leaping for joy. This is going to be enough chocolate to get me to like my 50th birthday. It is a four-foot-tall chocolate bunny from the Hershey factory. Can I get a witness, right? So good. And so I'm just like freaking out, excited about the chocolate Easter bunny. And I remember my mom, she's like, oh, so excited to give this to you. And, and I get it, I unwrap it, and I pick it up. And I'm like, whoa, that's really light. I must be getting stronger, right? Man, I can lift this, this chocolate Easter bunny over my head. I'm so strong. And I just remember the moment I, you always start at the ears, right? I went to the ear and I took a bite and it just crumbled into pieces because the bunny was hollow, right? There's nothing on the inside. And I would say for a lot of people today, this is how they view Christianity, right? Like kind of fluffy chocolate. You guys look like you kind of speak a good game, you know some verses, you do some good things, but in the end, your religion is hollow. And this is how people feel about the church. This is, and this isn't necessarily something people are making up, certainly. For many people, their beliefs and their religion is hollow. It is hollow. And in fact, as we look at Jesus, he was hardest on the hypocrites and the religious leaders of the day, wasn't he? I mean, you know who he loved to hang out with? The sinners and the tax collectors. And it's funny, we talk about tax collectors and we're like, is that really that bad? I don't know if that person is that evil, but in their day, tax collectors were literally using their authority and power from the state to take money from you that would ultimately, this money would be used to abuse you and your family. To, I mean, it led to terrible things that happened to your family's food and resources being taken and stripped from you, and then abuse being put onto your family and your friends. That was the money that they were taking. And so they were the hated of all of those who were hated in their society. I mean, this is a really big deal. And so Jesus, he hung out with those people. He's like, oh, we can be buddies. But you know who Jesus really struggled with was the religious people. Those who said they loved God, who, who made it look like they really loved God, but the truth is they didn't. What they loved more than anything was the affection of people. I mean, they loved it when people would give them, you know, accolades and, and tell them, man, you are so good. They loved it when people would respect them for their position. They would do anything to be respected and to be honored by other people. Another person texts this in. I'm good with Jesus. I'm just not down with institutionalized religion. People have used their claim of correct interpretation or prophetic vision as justification to commit atrocities for the sake of power. This is another person struggling with this whole thing of like, do we really look like Jesus when we say we're Christians? I mean, if that's what the word Christian means, is like little Christ, a, 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 a type of Christ, is that what we look like when we live? Or do we use our power, do we use our influence to build our own kingdoms? There is a tension there. Can we admit that? Can we admit that there is a struggle there that we all have maybe felt before? So this distance that we feel between what we say and what we actually believe is something called hypocrisy. And hypocrisy can be defined as this, a hypocrite is an actor. If you've ever been to a great show or a great play, this word hypocrite was originally used in the theater. That somebody who was on stage, who was doing some kind of performance, was called 
a hypocrite. Now, we, may, we use it as, an, as a negative term, but for the, the origin of this word, it really wasn't a negative term. It just describes somebody who was acting like something that they're actually not. Somebody who was really good for a show, right? And so we expect that in theater. We expect that on a movie sometimes, although it's funny when you're watching a movie with your friend and they lean over and they're like, this is so fake. It's like, it's a movie, right? It's supposed to be fake. None of it's real, you know? Like, like we expect that when it comes to theater. We expect that when we, when we go to a movie. But when it comes to the church, that's not what we expect. I mean, of anywhere, don't we expect that when you go to church, you get something real? Something that's not hollow? Something that's got some substance to it? Like that you're encountering people that actually believe the things that they say they believe? I want to give you guys sort of a news flash today. And this is going to be kind of a really big deal. Some of you may not know this, but listen, do you know that the church is full of people who aren't really Christians? You guys know that, right? It is. We can admit that. The church, in general, has many people who aren't actually Christians. And I would say this, um, I think to some degree it's a really good thing. We, as ACF Church, say that we're a community for the churched, the unchurched, and the de-churched. And so when you show up here, you're here here today, and you're like, well, that'd be me, right? I'm here because my wife wants me to be here. I'm here because I'm just checking out the church, trying to figure out if, if I want to be part of this thing. Like, I'm not so sure I'd call myself a Christian. And I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. We, we want you to be here. But it does sort of muddy the waters, doesn't it? It does sort of muddy the waters when people encounter you or even come to church. There's this expectation. Do you know the person next to you may not be a Christian? And you, you know, sometimes you visit a church and you're like, nobody said hi to me, Right? The person next to you is saying, nobody said hi to me, right? And, and maybe, maybe you're new and they're new and neither of you maybe are Christians. And so it, it muddies the waters of like what to expect from people. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, open up that Bible to Matthew chapter 6 or you can download the ACF Church app. And again, all the text will be there or on the screen next to me. Would you stand up actually? Let's uh, stretch our legs. I want to read God's word. Let's stand in honor of that here uh, this morning. This is Jesus speaking. He says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You can be seated. So there's a lot there, folks. I hope you can buckle up. we got a few things to cover in a short period of time. But the first thing I want to kind of deal with is, is how we view ourselves. Like, like if you're a Christian, how should we view ourselves. There's a statement that's uh, floating around. I hear this a lot. Um, I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. 
right? And I remember when I first read that or saw that or heard someone say that, I was like, that's kind of good. You know, I like that. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. It feels like that gives us a lot of freedom, right? Listen, if you're looking at me as a Christian and you're expecting perfection, you're going to be very disappointed, right? That's what that statement is saying. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. I think we all know this. There was the day that we prayed to follow Jesus, and then later on that day, we were screaming at our kids again, right? Or we were, you know, fighting with our neighbor over, you know, they trimmed our hedges, and we didn't want them to touch them, or whatever it was. Like, we we have these things where we start to, our anger starts boiling, even though we follow Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. How should we really view ourselves? So we've got that reality, which is kind of sort of true, but then we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected, being Jesus, for all time those who are being sanctified. In other words, what what that's saying is that we as Christians are perfectly imperfect people. I can't even say that. Imperfectly, perfectly imperfect people. In that God has made us perfect, and yet we live it out imperfectly. And so what's important for us to start with, if we are Christians, is to know that God sees us as pure and holy, right? That's what Easter is all about, right? Our sins are forgiven. We are made righteous before God. He wraps his robes of righteousness around us. Everything that we do now before God, God sees us as as holy and pure, which is such a beautiful gift. And yet we also know that we continue to live in imperfection. And so for us as Christians, it's important to know that we first identify with Christ, and more than anything for you, when you leave church today, you do not any, anymore identify with that person that you used to be. You don't identify with the person you were in high school and the mistakes you made then. You identify with Christ as a Christian, and we can hold our heads high, and you should. And you should, but you should also, we all should understand that we live out this perfection imperfectly. This word sanctification means to be made holy, that there's this process of being made holy before God that we're in, and we're going to spend the rest of our life just letting God weed the junk out of our hearts. I mean, I feel this every day. I feel it every time I get up to teach. Every, every Sunday morning when I prepare my heart to just kind of come before you guys, I just feel like junk in my heart. I hear all kinds of things in my head, like why would you be allowed to speak to them? You know who you are, Right? And so we all have that sensation that there's a lot of growth um, to do in our lives. None of us, though, even in our perfection in Christ, none of us live up to our own moral standards. Like, we all have to acknowledge this. And even if you're not a Christian, do you know that you don't live up to all your own moral standards? So here's an example for me. Um, I've been talking for a while. One of my, one of my big banners that I wave is that um, it drives me crazy when people leave their shopping carts out in the parking lot. Anybody? Amen? Amen's in the room? So this is just my thing. I know you're like, you, I get emails every time I bring this up of like, I've got 17 kids and I can't, get, you know, it's like, I get it. You don't have to rationalize yourself to me. But listen, it just drives me crazy. So here's the deal. I talked about that from the front like a year ago, a couple of years ago. And now I feel pressure every time I go to Walmart. Because if I'm, if I'm honest, like, I'm in a hurry, and I'm thinking a couple times, like, I don't have time for this stupid cart, right? But now people, I am, like, known for the guy that, that puts his cart away, and, like, it's like a big thing that I, that, I, that I make a big deal. And so I'll tell you, a couple of months ago I went to Walmart. This is confession. And it was, like, 9 o'clock at night. It was late. It was dark. And I had all kinds of stuff. I was in a hurry. And I stood by my car and I thought, nobody's going to know. Right? 
Nobody's, but I actually did put the card away, right, because I'm not a hypocrite. But I thought about it. I thought about being a hypocrite. I th- so I can still stand firm. But listen, we all, none of us hold up to our own moral standards. We, as Christians, we're like, we're supposed to be loving, and yet I know what I just said to my wife a couple of hours ago, right? Um, we're supposed to be generous, and yet I know that there was a need that I could have met, and yet I didn't meet that need. And even for those who are not in the church, or if you're just sort of looking in from the outside, understand this, you have a moral standard that you probably don't live up to either, right? There are things that you expect of other people, and we all rationalize different things in our heads and say, well, this is okay, but this isn't okay. So there isn't a person in the room who lives up to their own moral standards. To some degree, this hypocrisy is all inside of us. But what does a real hypocrite look, look like? Like, what is this biblical hypocrite that Jesus is speaking about? And I want, as we go through this, to you, for you to ask yourself a really simple question. Is it me? Is Jesus speaking about me? That's what I want you to ask yourself as we go through this. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So what does a real hypocrite look like? Hypocrites do good to look good. That's the first thing we see in this text. Hypocrites do good to look good. Jesus says the word beware. If Jesus says beware, we should actually beware, right? I mean, he seems to think that we need to really think about what he's going to say. Beware. This is a warning of practicing your righteousness before others. You see, the first thing we see is that hypocrites only do good when they can look good. They only do good things when people will see them and give them glory for those things. So what that means is there's sort of this gap between their public life and their private life. And I want you to just ask yourself, is this me? Is there a gap between my public life and my private life? And that gap is called hypocrisy, right? That's what we see Jesus describing them as. I uh, found this quote this week uh, by a man named Robert Murray. He says this, It is the mark of a hypocrite to be a Christian everywhere except at home. Ouch, right? It's a mark of a hypocrite to be a Christian everywhere except at home. So if you're here and you hate hypocrites, which some of you would be like, man, yeah, I really hate hypocrites. Your biggest fear is that I talk to your spouse, or to your kids, because you know what's going what's gonna to come out, right? I mean, that's how it is, because we say, it's like, man, hypocrites drive me crazy, but don't, don't look at what I do on the internet, right? But don't look at what I do with my money. Don't look at how I live my life or what I say to my neighbor, right? Don't look at that, but hypocrites drive me crazy, right? So, so what we read here is that, that this idea that we should not do good to be seen, Right? Do you guys know that people showed up here today to just roll, roll out, you know, like the red carpet for so many people here today to, to set up, to make sure that you felt greeted, just to, to care for you? People showed up yesterday to set up all this equipment. Many of them you will never see. And for them, that is their greatest joy, that they could serve you and not ever be seen. And so if there's some of that in your life, you know that you're headed the right direction. And so we see this, that we should serve not in order to, order to be seen. But here's the challenge in this. Here's the, here's the tension. 1 Peter 2.15 also says, This is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. That there's also the, there's power in doing good and being seen, right? 
Because for instance, right here, right now, you might be going, Brian, you're a hypocrite. Because you're serving and you're being seen, right? So what we see in the scriptures are two different things. And the why is what matters. Why are you doing what you're doing? He says, in order to be seen. If you are doing what you're doing, if you're doing good in order to be seen, right, that means that you are being a hypocrite. But if you're doing good and you're being seen, that does not necessarily mean that you're a hypocrite, which is why you have to check your heart, right? Which is why you have to be honest about your motivations of your heart and why you do what you do, right? He talks about a reward, that you will get no reward, And that's the thing about the Pharisees that Jesus was speaking to is they thought they were getting the greatest reward, right? Because in their minds, by being loved or being respected by all these people, it meant that they were doing really, really well and that God was going to give them a huge reward. They deserved the the best seat at the table in eternity with God. And Jesus says, you actually get no seat at the table. Not, 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 not any seat at the table. Not just a bad seat. You get no seat at the table because you are a hypocrite, right? And so it's really important that we understand this, that when we live this way, it's a, it's a symptom that we might not actually be Christians, right? Because we're doing things in order to be seen by others instead of our, our highest priority being to, to just honor God with our lives and with our hearts, and really, I was just, I was thinking about that this week. Like, what do we get if we get uh, a bunch of Christians to think that we're awesome? I mean, honestly. Like, what do I get if you guys leave here today and you're like, hey, good job, Brian. I mean, did I really gain that much? No, I didn't. I didn't gain anything, honestly. In the grand scheme of eternity, we gain nothing by impressing our friends or by impressing our neighbors or by impressing our families. Who do you want? to impress. That's what Jesus is asking. Verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. (laughs) I love that they would actually do this, right? Like we read this and we're like, that's ridiculous. But can you imagine at the offering, we're like, right? Bill! Bill gave $30. Everybody give it up for Bill. You know, like somebody here's named Bill. I'm sorry. I just threw out a name. But listen, like can you imagine? But this is what they were doing. They were so excited about their gifts. It was like, man, the trumpet would sound... Look at the money that I just gave. Sound no trumpet before you as they do, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The next thing we see about hypocrites is that they are driven by immediate gratification. I want it now. I do. Like, we all do. We all want it now. We want everything right now. I mean, that is the world of credit cards, right? I don't got the money, but I want the stuff. So, thank you, Visa. Right? I mean, that that really is it. Just give it to me now. I can't afford it. I want it. This is the world that we live in. And for them, this thing of giving, like, if you've ever made a generous gift either to the church or to someone else, um, there can be a feeling and a question in your mind of like, I hope this is worth it, <laughs> right? right? Some of you, you know this feeling of putting a couple dollars in the offering plate and then wanting to grab it on its way away. You're like, oh my, what did I just do, right? Uh, I, I get it. We've all felt that way before. But there's this feeling of like, I hope that comes back to me somehow, right? I, I hope I, I get something from that. 
for the hypocrites, they want their reward now, right? They're like, uh, I don't know what's coming, but at least if I can get like a little trumpet, a little applause, some, you know, accolades for my friends, at least that's something for my gift. And Jesus says, I hope you like the trumpet because that's all you get. He says, if you do good, if you are a generous person to be seen by others, I hope you enjoy their applause because that's all you're going to get. Really scary stuff, right, when we think about that. They have received their reward. And, And there are really two types of people when it comes to generosity in the church. First, there are people who are generous but feel entitled, right? They feel like they deserve something, right? Like, I deserve the best seat in the house because you know what I give, right? And then there are other people who are greedy people who couldn't care less. <laughs> like, honestly, Brian, next point, because I don't care about what it means to be generous. And here, here's what you need to know, too, because I know there are probably some new people at church today. If you're here, know this. I don't want you to give any money today. I don't. Um, this, this one's on us, right? If you're new, we don't want anything. We just want to be a blessing to you. Understand that. But if we are God's people, if you're a Christian here today, then I hope this kind of grates on you a little bit. Like, why do I do what I do? What is the motivation behind all of this? It seems like for Jesus, the motivation is what matters more than anything, right? That's what drives us. Whatever that drives us, that's what Jesus wants to lean in on. So we don't give out of glory. We also don't give out of guilt, right? We don't give just because we did something wrong this week or because we feel like, man, um, I've got this messed up life. Jesus doesn't want that to be our motivation. He wants our motivation to be worship. Just thankfulness for the grace of God on our lives. But then he makes this statement, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I've heard people use this to describe that there should be no like public offering. Um, I think that's an uh, an incorrect uh, reading of that text, right? Uh, in fact, we read in Acts 4, Barnabas, um, this man who was kind of a helper of, of Paul, an apprentice that worked with Paul. Um, Barnabas sells this piece of land, and he publicly lays it at the apostles' feet, the, the money that he makes from the land as, a, as an offering to model what it looks like to be generous. And so, again, do you see the tension here? We're, we're hearing what feels like two different statements, but it's not. It comes down to why do we do what we do? Do we do good to be seen Or do we do good just to do good? Verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. So uh, one of the things that I love about our church, um, the building that we're remodeling, is uh, that it's on a street corner. Isn't that cool? Like, we have a great location in Eagle River. And so everybody that gets stuck in the next bridge apocalypse in Eagle River, like the next traffic jam, they're going to be stuck right outside of ACF Church. And I love that, right? Uh, that, that's just a great opportunity for us, um, for them to see the church, see things going on in the church. We, we, we really appreciate that. But that's not the reason that we're there. The reason is not just to be appreciated. The reason that we're there is to serve our community. And being seen is not a bad thing as long as that's not the reason we do what we do. What he's talking about is people who pray literally on the street corners. Can you imagine for these guys? They literally at one point were praying publicly in, the, in a street somewhere using all of these big holy sounding phrases and people were watching them and they were getting credit for that and they thought to themselves, you know what? Praying on one street isn't enough. I need to actually pray on two streets at the same time. So what I need is a street corner. So for these people, these hypocrites, 
They are praying literally on street corners trying to catch the cross traffic so that they can be seen as somebody who is so, so holy, right? I mean, that's, that's some next level stuff. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be like these people who are seeking the reward and the approval of other people by standing on street corners and praying. A statement that came to mind as I was reading this was this, that we should never let our image outpace our integrity. Like never let what people think of you outpace who you really are. Be aware of how people see you and be honest about who you really are because for these guys, they could have cared less. All they cared about was the image. Their integrity was just rotten. And we see this in our lives. We see this in the church today. We see this in our own hearts, right? So we're being pretty hard on these people, yet we are, to some degree, these people. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, once, once again, he's talking about seeking the reward and the approval of other people. He says, do something good and let nobody know about it. Like, what if you left church today and you just made it a point to go be generous, to go serve, to go show love and care for somebody and, and to make sure that just nobody heard about it? Now, once again, if people see it, if people thank you for it, that's okay. But what if we allowed God to work in us in such a way that we would serve and love people and not be seen at all. Okay, so Jesus speaks about hypocrisy. I hope you're getting an image in your mind about what a hypocrite actually is and how Jesus sees hypocrites. But the question is, like, why does it matter? Like, is this something that really matters in the church today? I think it really does matter. And the reason is because hypocrites multiply. They do. They multiply. They breed in the church. Hypocrites start to flow through the church. Luke 12, chapter, chapter 12, verse 1 says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. These religious people, this idea of leaven, it's like, like yeast in the bread makes the bread grow. That the Pharisees, their hypocrisy is like this leaven in the bread. It's just growing in the church. And Jesus says, be careful of that. And I would say the same is true today, that a few hypocrites will turn into a community full of hypocrites. And so Jesus is like, that's a really big problem, and so we got to be honest about this. The hypocrisy is contagious. It's like a disease in the church. And some of you have been around this, and some of you are like, that's why I don't really want to be part of a church, because that's all I've ever seen. So here's, the, here's a big question for you today. Let's say you're on your way home from church today, and you get stuck in a little traffic in the parking lot. This could happen, by the way. (laughs) We're hoping it doesn't. You get stuck in some traffic, and in a fit of rage, you decide to open the window, scream at the person next to you, and flip them off. Let's say that that happens. I want to ask you a simple question, And, and you need to know the answer to this. Are you a sinner, or are you a hypocrite? And you might be like, both. But I want to draw a really important distinction that as I was studying this this week came out to be so clear is that those aren't always the same things. This is important that you know this. Because we see this in Romans 3.23. It says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what that word all means in the Greek? All. That's right. All people. Everyone. Thanks for the crowd participation. I appreciate that. Everyone in the room has sinned And fall short of the glory of God. So that's everyone. Christian, non-Christian, 
doesn't matter wherever you come from. But then Matthew 23, 27 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. And so here's what we need to draw a distinction of, is that in the church, there are people in the church who, people who sin, who have mistakes that they make, and then there are biblical hypocrites, as, as Jesus describes them, Right? I was reading a Gallup poll this week uh, from 2017 that said 49% of Americans today still call themselves Christians. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's declining, but that's still pretty strong. 49% of Americans today still call themselves Christians. But listen to this. This was so interesting. Only 50% of that 49% would say that they are very religious. Now, think about that for a second. Like, only 50% of the population of the, the people that call themselves Christians in the United States, only 50% of them, and by very religious, they described it as somebody who's like goes to church consistently and tries to you know, follow God to the best of their ability, like that they're actually pouring a lot of energy into it. Only half of the people who call themselves Christians are actually pouring a lot of themselves into what it means to be a Christian. But then we read in Luke 9, 27, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, listen to this, you must take up your cross and follow me. Or I love the message translation, says it like this. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. So that's what it means to be a disciple or a Christian, is to actually let God lead your life. It's to give God authority in your life. It's to be very, somebody, very I don't know if the word religious is right, but very committed uh, to your faith. But only 50% of the people who call themselves Christians today would say that they are very committed to their faith. So that means half this room, sorry, half this room, there's a big disconnect over here. Like 50% of us, like don't get it. Don't get the sacrifice that it means, the commitment that it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. That's a huge, huge deal. And here's what I want to wrestle with as we close out, this reality that all hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. All hypocrites are sinners, but not all sinners are hypocrites. Here's how I'll describe this. So Jesus had 12 disciples, right? But only one of them was a hypocrite. Who was he? Judas, that's right. Now the other disciples, they blew it a lot, didn't they? I mean, they, they honestly didn't get that Jesus was the Messiah till after his resurrection and ascension. I mean, really, they're just like figuring it out. They didn't really get who he was. But there was one hypocrite, and his name was Judas. Judas was the one who didn't really love Jesus the way that the others did. There was a difference. It wasn't in the mistakes that they made. It was in their hearts. Hypocrisy is a heart issue. Do you hear that? It's a heart issue. It's not simply in the mistakes. Think about it like this. Somebody is a Christian. You're in this room, and you are a follower of Jesus, and you have an anger problem, and it's just terrible. And it's wrecked your marriage, and it's, it's caused your kids to abandon you, and you're left alone. And you've been years of doing better. And you've been holding back on your anger, and you're loving God and trusting him for his grace, and you get together with your family at Easter dinner, and you just lose it, Right? You lose it, and they're all like, you hypocrite, right? See, you think you're a Christian. How could you call yourself a Christian? And in your heart of hearts, you know, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm a sinner. 
Like, like I know that I need grace. I know that I blow it. And I know that it would be better if I could handle my anger, but I can't seem to do it right now. I need God's help. There's a difference. Imagine somebody here who's like, you're an alcoholic, and you've been drinking, drinking, drinking for years, and then you finally come to Jesus, and he's like, man, I want to rip this out of your life. And so you're trusting for his grace, and you're falling down now and then. And you've been sober for like 10 months, and then one day, you just have a terrible day. And you fall back. You start drinking one night, and it lasts the whole weekend, and you're just a mess. You're just on your knees praying. You're like, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me to care for myself? Would you help me to get help for myself? Are you a hypocrite or are you a sinner? I'm just a sinner. Somebody who makes mistakes. It does not make you a hypocrite. This is so big that we get this idea of the difference between a sinner and a hypocrite. And I want you to ask yourself this question. This is how you can know which one you are. Are you fighting or are you faking? That's how you know the difference. And only you know. The person next to you doesn't know. The label they put on you doesn't matter. Only you know if you are fighting or if you are faking. I want to ask you the question, are you making progress? Are you taking steps forward? Because if you are and you're trusting God for his grace, you can believe that you are forgiven and you are a son or daughter of the king. You can believe that today. And you can know that you are safe in the hands of God even if you blow it. Even if you make mistakes, that's what Easter was all about. And that's what we live for as Christians is that his grace is enough. Here's the lie that I think you believe. Listen, here's the lie. I think so many Christians here today believe that in your sin, in your mistakes, that the power of God is made weaker. But do you know that that's a lie? Do you know that's not true at all? That 2 Corinthians 10 says that God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. That his strength is made perfect as you blow it, as you have weakness in your life. That you, as someone who is broken and needing, you are a walking billboard for the grace of God. As you blow it and you're like, man, I know that i, I got to be honest. I don't love people as well as I should. I'm not as generous as I want to be. I'm not as caring for my kids and my family as I'd like to be. I don't honor the people in my life like I should be. I'm blowing it. I'm blowing it sexually. I'm blowing it in, in a ton of different ways right now. Like, I'm just blowing it. But I know that God is at work in my life. And, and above all else, what I want to do is honor him with my heart and with my soul. And that's what it means to be a Christian. And that's not maybe what you've been told. And that's not maybe what you've lived. And here's my fear is that if you have simply embraced the title of hypocrite, because I think so many Christians are like, yep, we're all hypocrites. If you've embraced that as who you are, what it's done is kept you from being on mission like God wants you to be. In fact, this is kind of a funny example, but um, we designed a little ACF church sticker, like a window sticker a few months ago. And it's just kind of a fun, it's got a little caribou on it. You know, I don't know why. I just thought it was cool. But we, just, we, we designed this sticker with ACF on it, and I, I was going to print some off for people. And I, had, I did a little poll on Instagram to see how many people would want them. And one of the options was I wouldn't want a sticker uh, because I don't want people to know I'm a Christian when I'm driving. I don't want to represent the church when I'm driving. And let me tell you, that was the most popular answer. That more people didn't want the sticker because... They didn't want to represent Christ while they were driving than those who did. And, and that's kind of a silly example. But listen, the reason why that matters is because that's affecting almost all of you who are Christians. 
Because it's keeping you from telling your friends about Jesus because you know that you have sin in your life. You're like, who am I? Who am I to to represent the church? (laughs) Let me just tell you, if we all lived like that, no one would have a sticker. No one would represent the church. I wouldn't be up here. The band would not be on this stage. If we all believed that lie, Jesus would have no representation through us, through his church to the world. But the truth is, God's grace is enough for you. And his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So how about you? Have you been been faking it? You haven't actually been fighting. What if today you just made a decision to fight? Have you written off the truth of what Jesus says is true or the truth of who Christ is because you've run across some pretty imperfect Christians? I love this quote. I read this this week. Leo Tolstoy says this, If I know the way home and am walking along it drunkenly, is it any less the right way because I am staggering from side to side? And that's the truth. Like, you know some broken Christians, and just so you know, the reason that they need Jesus is because they're broken. And and we are a community of people like that. And so if that's you today, I want to invite you into the family to join us, not as hypocrites, but as those who are sinners in need of the grace of Jesus. So would you stand up? Let's pray together. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your grace. God, thanks that you meet us where we are. And right in a high school gymnasium, God, that your Holy Spirit is here and it's speaking to our hearts. God, we we know that um, there's a lot of reasons that we could disqualify ourselves from not only being used by you, but even being in your family. God, none of us deserve to be in the family of God. That's what the cross is all about. God, if we, if we deserved it in any way, there'd be no reason for the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. But God, we do believe that your grace is sufficient. God, that your strength is made perfect when we are weak. And God, that you want to use broken and messed up and addicted people like us. And that's why it's so amazing. God, first that you would love us. We can't believe that. It blows our minds that you would love us and God, then that you would use us. So God, thank you for your grace. I pray for the one person in the room here today who just needs to make a decision to start fighting, that today would be that day. God, I pray for the person here today who has maybe been turned off to who you are because they've interacted with some pretty broken Christians or people who aren't Christians at all. That maybe today would be the day, God, that they encounter a true and living God. So we just want to worship you in this new space today, God. Free us up. Keep us from our pride. Help us to honor you with our lips, with our entire bodies as we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.